0: Today on Your Money, Your Wealth podcast number 312, whether you call it a SERP or an ISERP, that is an individual supplemental executive retirement plan, a private pension plan, or the insurance agent favorite, the super Roth, the basic strategy is overfunding a life insurance policy. And the question is, is it a good idea for your retirement planning? You know, Joe and Big Al have some strong opinions on this one for Dante. The fellas also discuss a social security pension and retirement withdrawal and Roth conversion strategy for Nina, portfolio modeling scenarios for Tom, and they dive in on the earned income credit and other tax reduction strategies for Kevin and for Will. And finally, chiropractors and physical therapist types, Joe is turning the tables and asking you for your suggestions about his butt. I'm producer Andy Last, and here are the hosts of Your Money, Your Wealth, Joe Anderson, CFP, and Big Al Clopine, CPA.
1: Got an email from Dante, lives in New York City, Al. And I I, I had a little back and forth with Dante. because You've already, you've already been kind of conversing? A little bit. Okay. Um, because I just needed to get some facts straight. Okay. All right? And so I'm going to read his question, and then I'm not going to read our, our, our full conversation because, you know, we don't have it, to, it, gets the it gets a little weird. It gets a little Oh, is that it? Okay. No, I'm kidding. All right. So Dante, he writes in, he goes, hey, I recently found your podcast and been binging them all. Uh, they are quite informative as well as entertaining. So thank you both for providing such an awesome service. I was hoping to get your opinion on an investment product I own called an ICERP. <laughs> Wow. So that caught my attention, right, Big Al? Yeah, little I, capital S-E-R-P. And that stands for Individual Supplemental Executive Retirement Plan.
2: And I'm like... That's a a new name for the same rapper that we've seen a million Uh, times. And I'm
1: like, okay, red flag.
2: Red flag. You know, I, I would say forty years ago when I first heard of this, it was called the private pension plan. Yes. That's what they called it at that
1: point. Yep. Individual supplemental executive retirement plan. I like how they, you know, yeah, hey, it's, it's individual. Very, it's very it's cool. a little supplement. You're an executive, so boom, only it. Well, only you, get it. Get to only do it. you buddy. <laughs> uh, which I started in late twenty twenty one. I'm uh at attention- Oh I'm sorry, twenty eleven. Thank you, Andy. I'm attaching uh, attaching a relatively recent uh, redacted quarterly statement in case it helps. Uh, Did you look at that? Oh, yeah. Studied it. (laughs) Studied it. Thank you for the (laughs) redacted statement there, Dante. Got it. Um, Here's what the agent told me. This is an institutionally priced variable life insurance policy that has a razor thin wrapper. Which allows me to minimize the death benefit, but maximize the internal rate of return on the cash value. My understanding is that this is different from an IUL that's in index universal life in several ways, including the fact that it's completely optional whether I put money in. In fact, for the last five years, I didn't put a penny in because I knew the commission rates were really high initially, but when they gradually decrease, sales expense charge from uh, payments to 9.75%. So that's the the upfront load for years two through four uh, to 1.75% for years five through seven and then 0% for years eight and beyond. I invest the premiums entirely in an index fund that's in the wrapper. I recently paid off my mortgage and I'm now completely debt-free. I've been funneling money that used to be mar- um, earmarked for my mortgage towards this policy. It's dead uh, and plan to continue to do so for the next two years. And we'll have it fully funded. I believe the max he can put in is around a hundred thousand bucks. So he contacted the agent again recently to ask more question. And he thinks that, this is the greatest policy on earth. Can you imagine the agent said that, Al? <laughs> you know, I, I, I can, actually. Okay. Uh, since the fees have dropped off considerably, I think he has less him to convince me to continue to fund it. He said it has tax-free access to the cash value because it's life insurance. If I take partial surrenders up to what I paid in premiums, I pay no tax. If I take a loan, I also pay no tax. He called it non-recourse debt. In the 10th year this year, there is a wash loan provision, meaning that if I borrow money, I can charge 4%. But that 4% basically gets credit back to the cash value. So the cost of the loan washes out. So or a a, a zero net cost loan. All right. Basically, he said this is a super Roth account since nothing is taxed because it's inside a life insurance wrapper. That is a razor thing. (laughs) He called it super because I'm not limited to seven thousand dollars per year. through the backdoor Roth mechanism, I'm contacting you guys looking for a second opinion as to whether this is a good idea as opposed to just leaving the money invested in index funds in a regular online brokerage account. All right. So, in case your thoughts deepen on our background, he's 55. He's married, uh, working full-time. 35% tax bracket, Big Al. Okay. Contribute the maximum to all available retirement accounts. He's got a net worth around $6 million. Uh, relatively large conversion of traditional IRA to Roth IRA back when you could do the, pay the taxes over um, two years. And he's like, yeah, thanks a lot for your time, Dante. So uh, he goes, P.S., I realize using the 4% rule, I can retire, but my wife says I have to keep working until I'm dead. Any advice on changing her opinion? <laughs> yes, divorce. That's the key question here. <laughs> Does he really have to work his whole life? Oh boy! So okay. Um, so I reached out to him and I'm like, okay, well, this whole executive BS, BS, BS. All right. Yeah, explain it. And then, so Dante is a is a physician, and I figured he he was uh, because physicians get approached by this type of product all the time. I'm not saying it's a a, a crappy product. Kind of, I am, but. Not really. It, it, it can be used in a scenario in some instances, okay? And I'll explain what I'm talking about. Okay. I wanted to know a few things. A, was this priced truly on an institutional basis? What I mean by that, was it like underwritten through the company where the cost of insurance is really dirt cheap? Or was it like an individual policy for Dante himself? Because how it was sold, it sounded like, all right, well, if this is a group policy under a company shell. Um, you could get institutional pricing within it. Um, the answer was no. It's an individual policy. Yeah. Okay. Super Roth IRA. He's in the 35% tax bracket. Sure. So then I looked at the policy. Let's say he's paying, um, I don't know, because it, what, what, how they construct the policies is that you want the least amount of death benefit, right? There's a corridor that you have to have within to keep the tax-free component of life insurance. So you're funding the heck out of this life insurance policy. So you're putting the max amount of cash value in the policy with the least amount of death benefit. Yeah. So you're, so you're overfunding it. You're You're overfunding it. So you're trying to stuff as much cash in here as possible. And there's a limit. There's a limit that you can, if you overfund it, you overstuff it, then you kind of lose the tax benefits of the life insurance. Sure. So that's a modified endowment contract. So he understands those rules and he's like, okay, well, this is a super Roth because I could put a hundred thousand dollar contribution in this thing. And he's telling me that, well, $7,000 $7,000 is the only thing that you could put in directly into a Roth IRA. Well, you're already doing that. Well, this will just enhance your overall experience of tax-free growth sure. by putting hundred dollars in this policy that will grow tax-free. So he can put $100,000 in the policy. It will grow tax-free if he takes FIFO tax treatment, right, first in, first out, sure. and then takes loans from the policy. The problem is, is that he's already in the 35% tax bracket. So if he's made, so he made a hundred thousand dollars of income, but his gross income was what? right? $135,000. Yeah, to pay for the hundred that he netted. Right. So, he made $135,000. He paid $35,000 in tax. He netted $100,000. Then he places that into this variable universal life contract. Then the $100,000 grows tax-free, but there's a cost of insurance. So, he has $100,000 of cash value. He still has to have a death benefit of a few hundred thousand bucks. So, he's paying for that insurance, right? Right. Yeah. He's paying for fees and costs in the razor thin shell of this variable life insurance policy, right? Right. He's taking FIFO treatment out and then he has to take loans. So he's like, well, it's a zero cost loan because they're charging me for but I'm netting for. Sure, okay. But how about if he takes too much money out of the policy? What would happen? It will lapse. And then all of that money comes to you as taxable, okay? So everything you've taken out already. Subject to the basis. You're yeah, right. Subject to the basis. So instead, then I said, Well, do you because he's doing the back door, right? So I had to ask him, Do you have any retirement accounts that is not your current employer's plan? And he does. And I said, Well, why don't you just did you ask your agent? So if he Al converts a hundred thousand dollars of his retirement account into a Roth IRA. Right. right. What yeah. would he pay in tax? Yeah, the same as what he would have done doing this, right? He would pay 35000 in tax sure. versus he paid $35,000 in tax to get the 100000 Same, same. Same, same. But what does he not have to do if it's in the Roth?
2: Yeah. Well, the Roth it grows tax-free forever. There's no cost of insurance and there's no chance it's going to lapse. There's no, there's, there's, no, no BS. There, there's no time bombs here. Right?
1: There's no BS. <laughs> it is clean living.
2: Have you ever seen one of these policies lapse?
1: All of them. <laughs> Every single one.
2: Uh, and that's been my experience that they, they very often don't work out as advertised.
1: Right. Uh, the only times I don't see them lapse is that when they're truly... Um, like a a wealth transfer play, like they're, they're buying the insurance. Right. Right. So then I ask him, I go, first of all, do you need the insurance? He's like, no, I don't need the insurance. Right. Right. No, this is a a supplemental income retirement executive, super cool backdoor Roth plan. And I was like, the thing's garbage. (laughs) Right. But I, I, I I spent some time. I wanted to, here's how I think this would make sense. So Dante's a physician. Dante probably makes very good income. And let's say Dante works for a company, and he works for that same company for 35 years, and he's got a 401k plan. And then he's got his Roth plan. And he's thinking about some other types of savings that he would like to contribute to, right? Then putting it into this policy might make sense, right? Because he doesn't have the $100,000 to convert into the Roth. In this case, Dante does. So it makes more sense for him to convert his old plans into a Roth versus funding this plan with 100000 or $200,000 because you're going to be better off with just a clean, razor-thin Roth wrapper. Right. Right. Now,
2: what happens to that razor-thin life insurance policy uh, when you turn like
1: 80? Exactly. You still have to pay for the insurance. And you, doesn't it go up as you get older? Right. A lot. <laughs> So the cost of insurance is going to continue to increase, but oh well, I max this thing out and I'm going to live off of that. Well, you still have to constantly pay for the insurance, and if all of a sudden you blow, you know, a little bit too much money out of there. You know, I don't know. You don't need the insurance. I Just stay far away from this crap. Like, what happens if
2: you get to 85 and you don't really want to pay for the insurance because it's unaffordable? You you close out the policy, but then everything you took out in the past was taxable, subject to your basis. Right. If
1: you, if you let the thing lapse, you're going to blow up. So th- this is what people do is that, all right, they're going to start pulling things out, pulling things out. And all of a sudden, they're like, you know what? Oh, my God. I think this thing is going to die on me. I did, I'm, the insurance contract is going to die before I do. So what do I do? Right? right. So then they call the agent and they're like, Hey agent, you know, can I get an enforced ledger? What, how much money do I have to put in this thing? And they're like, well, it's going to be about $200,000 to keep it alive. <laughs> and it's yes, like, and by know. the way, I'll take my commission on it. <laughs> <laughs> well, now they probably would be no commission or anything like that. Um, and, well, maybe on fresh money, who knows? But, the the problem is that it's already too late it's like you know you you have this dog that you you, you, you like but now it just you know craps everywhere and you, 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 you it's kind of a pain in the I, what <laughs> i don't have an animal I don't have a dog so clearly <laughs> that, right but it's like okay well you can spend two hundred thousand dollars right to to keep the thing alive that you don't even want so that's why people just let them die and then they get
0: taxed All right. Um, Dante, hopefully that helps. Joe and Big Al have covered insurance and especially indexed universal life insurance a number of times before on the YMYW podcast. And you can listen to those previous episodes because they're all linked in one convenient place in the podcast show notes at yourmoneyyourwealth.com. And before you go buying insurance or overfunding a plan for investing purposes because some insurance agents said it was a great idea, learn some of the basic expensive mistakes you'll want to avoid by downloading our free white paper, five costly life insurance mistakes to get to the podcast show notes for all of today's free resources, the episode transcript and to ask more of your money questions, click the link in the description of today's episode in your podcast app.
1: We got Tom from Linwood, Washington. Linwood? Linwood? Yeah, Lin, probably. Killed it. (laughs) (laughs) Hello, hello, your money, your wealth team. Note that I did not mention names, as I know one of your team members is sensitive when he does not receive top billing. That's right, Tom. Who would that be? I have no idea. Probably Andy. Uh,
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's definitely me.
1: I thoroughly enjoy your show. Uh, keep up the good work. This is not a Roth question. Thank you. Perfect. Okay. Well, then we will answer it. I'm interested in hearing your thoughts on what percentage portfolio gains to use when modeling retirement scenarios. I'm 57, wife 62, and we intend to retire one to two years from now. We have a globally diversified portfolio consisting of pre-tax brokerage and Roth accounts allocated at 65 stocks, 35% bonds. We also have a rental house and we intend to sell that they intend to sell in about eight years. I've worked with several financial modeling software tools, but I'm unsure what I should assume for growth from the portfolio and rental property. My current annual modeling assumptions are 2.25% inflation, 2.25% portfolio returns for the next 10 years, 5.5% portfolio returns until the end of the plan, age 95, and 3% rental home appreciation. Last year, my uh, area homes increased 10% and are expected to increase 11% this year. I have two questions. Do you think my inflation and portfolio return assumptions are reasonable? Should I be adjusting for lower returns in the next 10 years to account for the higher market valuation? Thanks for answering my questions. Happy New Year's, Tom. All right. This is a new spin on um, some financial modeling. Sure, yeah. So- it's interesting. So Tom believes that the market
2: is overvalued. And I think uh, there are uh, there are pundits out there that will say because the market is so highly valued that the next five years, 10 years, it's not going to be
1: as good. The expected return of stocks might be lower over the next 10 years. Yeah, given current valuations. So he's saying, all right, well, in my modeling, I'm going to have a, a nominal growth of 0%. Yeah, it, because he's he's running inflation at two two and a half or two and a quarter, and he's like, all right, well my, my portfolio won't beat inflation won't. Yeah, um, he's got the lag. Same valuation, same same portfolio
2: return as inflation, two point two five.
1: Okay, and then it's like, all right, well then thereafter he's going to run it at five point five and keep inflation at two point five, so he's going to have a nominal rate of return of three percent from that age until age ninety five.
2: Right. What do you think? Um, I think it's it's very conservative. I think it's these are these are good numbers. I mean, if I were doing it myself, I could tell you what I would use. And you know, it's 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 subject to your own thoughts and opinions, right? I would probably use three percent for inflation because that's been like a hundred year
1: average. That's what we use with our clients. We use three percent inflation, six percent rate of return, three percent nominal return for life. Mm-hmm. I, and and I yeah, with a portfolio that's sixty
2: five percent stocks. I would expect to earn 6%. If you want to be conservative, put 5%, right? As, as far as real estate, I would probably use either 4 or 5% being on the West Coast in Washington. 3% is even more conservative. I'd rather have you be more conservative than more aggressive and then be surprised in the in the wrong direction.
1: Yeah, w- without question, because this is such a crapshoot. Right, right. You have no idea what this is all going to fold out to be. So the more conservative you are, and if it works, and it works, then, then you're fine. Then
2: you're fine. I would say this about the next ten years, um, Tom. You may be right. Maybe that the returns will be less, but nobody knows. And and I would tell you, not all stocks are highly valued. The large growth companies in U.S. are more highly valued. Then small US companies, then value US companies, then international companies, then emerging markets. There's a lot of stock categories that are not that are undervalued, that are undervalued I mean, that historically are, from, yeah, let's say, at they, the, the they're, they're not at all time heights. So, what that tells me is that there's room in this, even,
1: even what seems like an all
2: time high market, there's room for growth.
1: But just the statement there of saying that the market's overvalued is assuming that you are foretelling the future, right? That you're predicting the future. And we believe it's very difficult to do that. So you want to make sure that you're dynamic in your investment approach, that you have – like he's globally diversified. So hopefully he has money in each of those different areas that you just talked about. Right. And then making sure that you're rebalancing those. But I think just for modeling, modeling in real life, right? Well, I think we all know are apples and oranges. (laughs) That's right. It's so if you look at that, you just know that you can guarantee that that that's never going to come true. (laughs)
2: <laughs> whatever shows up on your paper is just a, a thought of what could happen. It will never come
1: out to that dollar amount because Ever. <laughs> everything changes all the time. Right. So, but it, it's just a confidence booster of saying, this is my strategy. This is my plan. And if the market drops 15, 20%, you know what? I'm okay. Because if the market comes back and if my portfolio is flat for the next 10 years, I know that I can still accomplish my goals. Well, then you that, that's what the the modeling's for. Right. The modeling is not like I'm predicting this in the future. And, uh, you know, every year, I just want to make sure that my account balances are right with my prediction, because I'm going to tell you, you're going to be very, very disappointed.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So all all we can say is, yeah, I think you're conservative. Like I said, i just like what I said before, what I would do is 3% inflation, 6% market. I wouldn't have a 10 years versus future, just 6%. I would use, um, Probably 4% for the state of Washington, although I don't know a lot about that real estate. I would use probably 5% in in San Diego, where we're at. But again, I don't know enough about the market. Your assumptions, Tom, are conservative, so I think you probably will be fine.
1: Yep. No, I like him, too. I like him. He's creative. He's, he's yep. doing things a little bit different, um, which is good. He's thinking about it. So Nina uh, writes in from Yorba Linda, California. Hi, Joe. Big Al. I am 59 years old. My husband, John, is 60, already retired. He retired at age 45. I will retire in February 1st of this year. I've been listening to your podcast for a year now, really enjoy the humor and guidance you provide. Some background, just in case you need it. Our assets, uh, $2.8 million. $2.8 million. Pension withdrawal plan. My pension is $7,000 a month for 10 years starting February of this year. My pension does not have a COLA. 10 years is the fastest way for me to withdraw the money. Want to use my pension to allow our own assets to continue to grow. If I die before the 10-year period, John will inherit the $7,000 a month until the 10-year period is reached. After 10 years, when the pension is done, we will need a withdrawal from our own asset base. Social Security withdrawal plan. Husband does not have enough credit for Social Security. To maximize Social Security, our strategy is for me to file Social Security at age 62. I will get $2,200. John will get half, $1,100, totaling $3,300. In addition, we are planning to do more travel for the first 10 years. The go-go
0: phase. There it is.
1: <laughs> yeah, but here versus we... versus the logo and the no go. <laughs> Got it. <That'll> <laughs> uh, so we don't want to wait until I reach my full retirement age, which is sixty-seven, to file for Social Security. Note: thirty-two hundred dollars at full retirement age, and about four thousand dollars at age seventy. Monthly expenses, 9000 bucks. Plan to withdraw the difference of $2,300 from investments, either from taxable or after-tax accounts. Now until I reach age 62, when I turn 62, I'll fall for Social Security, have enough for spending at this point, will not need to tap into our own assets. All right. You following this so far, Al? Yeah, I'm with you. Got it. All right. Our question, currently our asset is 66% pre-tax, $1.8 million. All taxable, and $500,000 after tax. Since we will not tap into our assets for 10 years, it will grow, and the thought is that we'll not need to spend our assets until we pass away. want to reduce the tax liability for our beneficiaries now by converting some of the money into Roth, thinking to convert 50% of our pre-tax, $900,000 to Roth IRA, starting in 2021 for $100,000 a year. We're married finally jointly, so in 2021, our tax bracket will be in the 24% tax bracket. 110 spend plus $100,000 convert, which is higher than we would like. We want to stay within the 12% tax bracket, but we'll not be able to convert much. Is this plan of conversion sound good, or is there any other recommendation you could suggest, appreciate any guidance you could provide, and I really enjoy your podcast and learn a lot. Best, Nina and John. All right, so... She's got a pension, taking the 10-year. She's like, over the next 10 years, she's 59 years old. John's 60. She's retiring at 59. John's been retired since 45. Sure. I like that. Big baller. Yeah, right. Right. She's been working. Grinding. Putting putting food on the table. Yeah. He didn't even qualify for Social Security. He didn't have <laughs> enough credits. It's like, I'm done. You think he's an artist? I don't know what he is. I don't know. He's smart though, yeah. He married very, Nina, very smart. Or maybe a lot of these assets are his. It doesn't really doesn't say. say, yeah. But they got three million bucks, Al. Yeah. All right. Let's let's call it three million dollars that they have. They want to push out Social Security, or they want to take Social Security right away. Sure. They're going to do the ten year pension from fifty nine to sixty nine. So then they're on their own from seventy till end of life. Right. Do you like the plan? On that strategy, and then we can we can get into taxes in a second. Yeah, no,
2: I, I, I would change it, actually, a fair amount. I would change it, too. Go ahead. What yeah. do you got? Well, first of all, Nina, you've got plenty of assets, so you're a perfect candidate to delay your Social Security, to let that grow. That's tax favored. So when you do start taking it, you only pay tax on, on 85% of the total, number one, and number two... There is no state tax whatsoever in, in the state of California, which you're living in. I would, I, and you've got, you've got plenty of assets to live off of. I kind of like not having the Social Security because you'll be in a lower bracket. You've got the pension. We're going to call it 7000 a month, so 80000 plus a year right so if you if if you just if we just start with that that's your income right now and there's a standard deduction of 25000 so you you're in the 12% bracket you could do a $25000 conversion without social security and stay in the 12% bracket but more importantly than that i i think you have to fast forward to what it might look like at age 70 right and if you've got a couple million dollars in pre tax right now it may be 4 million dollars by then uh, RMD is gonna be about 4%, right? 160,000 of income, right? Plus social security and your pension will be gone by then. But still, you're gonna be in a high bracket in retirement. That's the whole point. So I would actually convert uh, with, with, the, with what I just said at least to the 22% bracket and the 22% bracket for a married couple would go out up to about 170. So you could, you could probably convert close to $100,000 a year by not taking Social Security, living off some of your other um, non-qualified post-tax dollars and end up converting quite a bit over a 10-year period. So that's what I would do.
1: I I agree. The 10-year, I I need to know a little bit more about the pension, I think. So she's taking the 10-year pension. That's the fastest she can get the money out. But let's see, what does the joint with rights to survivor look like? For the her, her entire life, right, right. Her and John's life, or is there an, a twenty-year option, a thirty-year option? Yeah. Well, is that, there a lump sum?
2: Good point. Because I mean, she's she's figuring she needs to spend the most right now because these are the go-go years. Go. But she got the assets to do it. So if there, if it's if it's smarter to take the pension
1: and certainly Social Security in a different manner, then I would consider that. Right. The the end goal is that she wants to spend nine thousand dollars a month plus tax plus the cost of living, and then she wants to make sure that all the assets go to the kids. To tax efficiently. Right. And she, if, if, if her and John spend a little bit more money than nine thousand and still give a lot of money to the kids, I'm sure she's going to be happy with that. Right. So that's why you have to look at all the numbers and how everything kind of correlates together. So I would want to look at the pension a little bit further just to see what's two, uh, the the internal rate of return of each option that she might have. And then you look at combining different ideas with that, if if that's the foundation. But I'm just going to go with her plan and say, all right, you're going to take the pension for a 10-year period. You're going to start, let's say, at age 60. It's going to end at age 70. I would definitely push out Social Security until at least your full retirement age. Take your benefit at that point, and then John will take the spousal benefit based on that amount. Because she's saying, all right, well, I'm going to take it at 62 and then John's going to take the spousal at 62 and he's uh, they're both going to get a reduced benefit from Social Security for the rest of their lives. Right. It doesn't make any sense to do that. You're just shortchanging yourselves that you could leave a couple hundred thousand dollars on the table. So at least wait till full retirement age to claim your benefit. As Al said, it's tax favored. The state of California is not going to tax it. And if you do this right, you know maybe fifty percent of the benefit is taxed, or at least at the, at the minimum eighty five percent of the benefit is going to be subject to tax, and fifteen is tax free. Then you look at the distribution strategies. Like, all right, well you need to take ten thousand dollars or twenty thousand dollars a year, uh, maybe a little bit more from now until your full retirement age. It's not a big deal. Right, because you have four million or three million dollars. So let's say you take thirty thousand dollars from the entire portfolio; it's one percent.
2: Right. If it's you get, still going to grow. A it's lot. still
1: going to grow. Let's say you get a five percent rate of return; it's still going to net four. Right. Right, and that's a fairly conservative portfolio over time. If you get a six percent rate of return or seven years, it's going to net six over a ten-year time period. Now there's three million, six million, or right. close to that. Right. So you just got to maneuver, you know, the puzzle just a little bit differently because she's like, oh, it's the go-go years. God, I hate that saying. I hate the go-go, the logo, the no-go and the stupid go. It's so right. But they're like, they're not thinking of their future selves. Right. Because when they turn 70, L, that's going to be pretty young because that's still a long time from now in. With medicine and healthcare and...
2: That, that's right. Now, the only, th- the only thing that could change that is if they if they both have impaired life expectancy. Sure, right. right. Now, if at least one of them feels like they're going to live a long time, you would want to defer that Social Security because you'll end up in a lot better spot. If you're thinking about tax-favored income and getting more money to the kids, then yeah, you want to actually... And as long as you have reasonable life expectancy at least one of you then that's definitely the way to go this is a classic case of pushing social security out because you don't need the money
1: right you got plenty of assets Did a really good job of saving money made decent money fairly frugal um given the fact that john retired at 45 yeah i like that so congratulations to both of you um hopefully that helps um, but they're going to still do what they want to do. Oh well, yeah, they just want a second opinion. Yeah. So now I would push out Social Security. You could probably get a lot more money converted, and then we could go on on how you should invest it and all that other good stuff. But you didn't ask us that, so we'll move on.
0: Download the ultimate guide to Roth IRAs for free from the podcast show notes at yourmoneyyourwealth.com. It will explain in depth what a Roth IRA is and how you can benefit from having one, how a Roth IRA differs from a traditional IRA and from a Roth 401k, the rules for contributing to a Roth, Roth conversions, and backdoor Roth conversions, the rules for taking withdrawals from your Roth account, and a lot more. Click the link in the description of today's episode in your podcast app to go to the show notes and download your ultimate guide to Roth IRAs it's free and of course if you still have questions you can click the ask Joe and Al on air banner there in the show notes as well and send your questions in
1: uh we got Kevin writes in from Texas howdy guys taxi's not over and I'm already planning my next tax strategy for next year's filing deadline. I was listening to episode 304 released December 15 2020 and was fascinated with Nick from Omaha Who isn't fascinated with Nick (laughs) Omaha? My light bulb turned on. I want the EIC. The EIC. Is that an earned income credit, Alan? That's what it is. I'm a teacher with two children, and I can contribute to a 403B, 457, and max out my IRAs for my wife and me. My big salary is $100,000. By maxing out the 457, 403B, and traditional IRAs, my AGI would go to $49,000. That's within the EIC parameters. However, I'm a little confused. According to the article in NerdWallet, both your earned income and your adjusted gross income each have to be below the levels in the table, which is 53865 However, when I go to the IRS tool to calculate my EIC, it seems like they are only using the AGI to determine the EIC. Can you please clarify? If I don't qualify for the credit because of my salary is $100,000, then I will contribute to the Roth IRA instead of the traditional IRA. It's always fun listening to you all. Thank you. P.S. I drive a 2012 Toyota Camry and live in the great state of Texas. Cool. Okay, I'll take a stab at that. Earned income credit.
2: So if you have earned income, which is salary or self-employment income, and you have children – and your income is low enough, the IRS, or I should say the federal government, administered by the IRS, then you get this credit. It kicks in. It's called an earned income credit. And basically, what they're suggesting is that because you don't make a lot of money and because you have children, you might need a little assistance. So that's the idea of the earned income credit. So if we just talk about numbers, um, that's right. It's it's around $50,000 for a married couple. I'm not sure exactly what. But anyway, that, that sounds about right. And and it's earned income and adjusted gross income both. But earned income, I guess one of his questions is defined as your salary minus your 401k, minus your 457, not the gross. So so Kevin, you don't really have a problem there. As long as you're diverting your salary to those retirement accounts, it's that 49000 that will keep you below the what you say fifty three thousand, as long as your AGI is below that. So you have to be the earned income and the AGI, then you would qualify for the earned income credit. The lower your income, the higher the credit. This is kind of the way it works. But if you're below those thresholds, you'll get something.
1: So he does not qualify, is what you're saying? No, he does. Well, it, his adjust. Well, his income is a hundred thousand.
2: I know, but it's but you get to subtract your your four hundred B and four fifty seven from that. So it's his net taxable salary that's considered earned income for purposes of the earned income credit. So he does qualify.
1: Oh, because it's it's earned income or AGI? Yeah. And his AGI, of course, is going to be a lot lower because it's it, he's already deferring $50,000. I mean, assuming he's
2: got no other income. I'm, I'm assuming he's got no interest in dividends. So his salary is a hundred, but after the 403B 457, it's 49,000. And if that's what the AGI is, 49,000, they are both under that 53. Yeah, it, it, it works. All right. There you go. I would say, and we sometimes like to say that that may or may not be in the spirit of
1: intention. The <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? More power to you. Uh, all right. Kevin from Texas. You just got the EIC, buddy. Got a question coming in here. Hey, Joe, Big Al, and Andy. My name is Will, and I currently live in Los Angeles with my roommates and their two cats. Ooh, where's this going, Al? <laughs> Where is this going? Uh, I listen to your podcast each Tuesday on my way to and from work while playing vehicular Tetris on the 101 freeway in my 2013 Dodge Charger. Got a tax question for you. All right. Bottom line up front, I would like to know if there's any specific tax strategies I should be looking to take advantage of if I would temporarily be leaving the workforce to become a full-time student in an overseas university. Okay, cool. So he's separating from the military in February 22 after nearly nine years of service. Well, thank you so much, Will, for your service. I second that. Um, And will COVID willing be moving to Australia for a year and a half to get my master's in international business? I'll be a full-time student in this time. Do not plan to work um, um, when when he's enrolled in school. I'm 30 years old, single, with no dependents. I have $125,000 in taxable brokerage account, $48,000 total in the TSP, $43,000 in a Roth. I have no consumer debt. However, I do have $223,000 on a mortgage, 2.75% interest rate, on a rental property in Florida that grosses $23,000 a year. I'm a Florida resident, do not pay state taxes. My thoughts are that I should use this opportunity to either roll over and convert most of the traditional balance of my TSP to a Roth IRA or tax gain harvest and sell some of the equities in my brokerage account. Do one of these strategies make more sense than the other? Additionally, are there any other specific international tax strategies opportunities that I should take advantage of? okay. By the way, I'm one of these pesky fire people. Do not plan on working until traditional retirement age. Thanks for all you do. Will. Yeah. He wants to put it all on the rock so he can spend it on 45.
2: <laughs> then we'll have that discussion. Yeah. You,
1: you can spend your basis only. Yes. Um, okay. So he, I guess the question with, with Will is that's it's, it's a pretty sharp car. That looks like a military kind of guy's car. Does you know,
0: that's got some badass. Power. That is a muscle car. Yeah,
1: that's got some
2: power. That, that's like a, That's like a supercharged Mustang. Well, it's a
0: Dodge Charger, so it's referencing back to the old Dodge Chargers. Yeah, that's right. Okay.
1: So he's got a couple. Someone that drives that car does. You would be like, oh yeah, that guy lives with two two roommates and two cats.
0: (laughs) He's saving (laughs) money. He's in the fire movement. He couldn't help it with the car, though. Apparently.
2: Well, and Fidelity says you're supposed to have one times your salary by age 30. He's probably well past that, so. Good job.
1: All right. So the question is, he's moving to Australia. Any any foreign tax um, deals he can do, Al? Well, he's got no income. So his thinking is right. He's got
2: a couple opportunities here. One is to do a Roth conversion on the $34,000 of his TSP that's traditional. He could do that. Or he could do tax gain harvesting on his $125,000 brokerage account. Um, the uh, the tax gain harvesting would be tax free up to about forty thousand dollars, and if he's got no income, you get a standard deduction of about twelve thousand as a single taxpayer. So you could you could actually have uh, let's call it fifty thousand or so in gains and sell them. Uh, rebuy the stock back or investment back if you want you increase your tax basis there's no current tax federal or state because you live in florida so yes that's a great idea right there the second thing is the thirty four thousand dollar roth conversion yeah i would look at that too same same thing you you already have a twelve thousand dollar standard deduction for nothing so you could convert twelve thousand dollars and not pay any tax whatsoever or you can convert about fifty thousand and well, there's only thirty-four thousand there, so you can't even convert that much, but you'd be in a nice low bracket. Maybe you do maybe you do half and half. You know, I don't know how much gains you have in the taxable brokerage account, but yes, you got great opportunities because you're in a low bracket. So it's a it's actually a great question. Anything um, international wise? Yeah. Not really. I mean that's that is Because if there were, if he was making money internationally, we could talk about the, um, you know, the foreign Foreign tax credit. credit. Yeah. Well, the foreign tax credit and the foreign income uh, uh, exclusion, I guess is what they call it. You like that word exclusion.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Like how you talk foreign tax, Al. (laughs) You know, I got a request, Alan. Yeah. For our doctor slash chiropractor slash physical therapist, any listener that. Understands um, back in sciatic pain. Yeah, yeah. yeah you got a request? How, yeah, how I mean, to fix it? I need some help. <laughs> you do need some help. I got like something that is not firing in my um, glute. All right, so it's like a shooting pain down your leg. Yeah, but I, it's like Tiger Woods. My 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 glutes aren't firing. They're not activated. Your glutes. My butt. Got it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> right. Annie, have you ever had sciatic pain? No, I have not. I have never had pain in my butt except you guys. <laughs>
1: oh! There we go. Look at that. There we go. Okay, I knew it was coming. Wow. I could
2: tell she was in a mood today. Here it is. Oh.
0: I'm so sorry. I I, you guys lighted it up. I just couldn't let that one go.
1: <laughs> it's, uh, that, that was a softball. Yes. I got it. So I'm playing golf. And so I, I load up on my left side. Okay. I'm trying a new swing, and you 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 swing hard. I try to. You, you don't I, swing I, I just, easy. I, I try not to swing that hard, but apparently I, maybe when I'm I've, just swinging out of my shoes. What I've seen you,
2: it, it's <laughs> it is like Dustin Johnson, and it's either in the fairway oh, or not
1: to be found. It's one direction drag or the other. I hit it like a pretty far, but it's usually like a 500 yard slice. <laughs> uh, Have you ever gone over two fairways? Yes. Yeah. 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 Not I'm just sure. one. Yes. <laughs> um. Yeah, and then all of a sudden I felt something in my ankle. From one of your swings? Well, no, just playing. You know, just, okay. I was like, "Oh, this is kind of funny." Yeah. And then it just shot up wow. all the way up my my leg, and it starts to my back, and then goes down. And so, anyway, it's it's a lot better, but I haven't played golf in a couple of weeks. So we need a listener to help you. Out. But yeah, I'm doing stretches. I can't sleep. A um, heating? Do I ice it? Is it is it damaged? And then. Um, yeah, I give physical therapy, yeah. exercises. Yeah, what do I need? So, mm-hmm. motion Yeah, we, we give we give all of you guys this advice. I'm just asking for a little something in return. So, something bad. something okay. back. Something right. okay. back. All right. Okay. All right. Um, that's it for for today. That's it for this week. We'll be back again next week. You got money questions? Go to yourmoneywealth. We're we're chugging along here, so um, we should get to your question soon. So uh, we'll see you again next week.
0: Well, that was a giant derail. Stick around. We got a couple more quick ones at the end of the episode for you. Your Money, Your Wealth is presented by Pure Financial Advisors. Click the Get an Assessment button in the podcast show notes at yourmoneyyourwealth.com or call 888-994-6257 to schedule your free financial assessment video call. One of the certified financial planners at Pure Financial Advisors will probably be able to identify strategies to help you create a more successful retirement. Pure financial advisors is a registered investment advisor this show does not intend to provide personalized investment advice through this broadcast and does not represent that the securities or services discussed are suitable for any investor investors are advised not to rely on any information contained in the broadcast in the process of making a full and informed investment decision
1: we made it to another year 2021 Um, we are in uh, season (laughs) 17 (laughs) it's been a lot of your money your wealth right we're in season
2: seven of our television show. How about that? That's crazy. That was one of your favorite words in your seminars I've been to. You always talked about about deductions, credits, and exclusions. Exclusion. I, I knew you had no idea what an exclusion was. <laughs> but that is, there is a foreign income exclusion. You do get to exclude <laughs> foreign income. Yeah, It's like, what, 100000 of salary, yeah. like that. Yeah,
1: you just got to throw everything at them now. You just got to, any word that I heard, I Everyone's just right in down. <laughs> exclusions. Fred, look at the exclusions. <laughs> you need to get some of those. You don't know what an exclusion is? Wow. <laughs> yep. Oh, I remember those days. Yep. I do remember yep. those days.